On this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast, we are speaking with three members of the cannabis industry, Benny Abbott, Operations Manager, Charles Ramsey, President and COO of Thrive Growing, and Tom O'Neill with Threefold Investments. Charles Ramsey, I am the President of Thrive Growing, a Canadian-based cultivation technology solution provider. Hi, my name is Tom O'Neill. I am CEO of Threefold Investments. It's an investment company and also a member in this group, uh, Missouri Medicinals, uh, applying for our license here in Missouri. Hi, my name is Benny Abbott. I'm a local business owner, um, also a part of the investment group and um, also the operations manager of the group. Okay, so let's go ahead and start and talk about the cultivation process of growing cannabis. Yeah, so this is actually what our group is most excited about. We are bringing a completely new cultivation technique and technology to the industry. We are bringing uh, what they call aeroponic growing here to Missouri. We're using a company, phenomenal company, Thrive Growing, and they have over the course of the last 10 years, created a unique and phenomenal way to grow cannabis, which not only increases yield, but it increases potency. Best part about it, and what we're most excited about, is they, they do it at a, a pharmaceutical level. There's no pesticides, there's no fungicides, herbicides, but there's, it's organically grown cannabis. Another extremely exciting part about this is it has, so when you grow aeroponically, your roots are suspended in air. This is uh, something that's never before been seen here in the industry. The third impressive thing about Thrive is they tissue culture straight from their generation one plants. So when we grow a plant on the terrace garden, as they trim the plant throughout the growing process, they tissue culture from the plant that is on there that becomes the next generation plant. So when we tissue culture from Gen 1 plants and put that same tissue culture back on, we have Gen 1 plants again for our next round. And what that does is eliminates gene disintegration. Over the course of time, taking from a mother plant will eventually the, the mother plant gets tired and old and you know her potencies drop. There's no consistency in your product when your potencies are different from varying crops. So when we tissue culture from Gen 1 plants and place Gen 1 plants back on the terrace garden, there's no there's no gene disintegration, there's no potency drop, meaning all of our medicines are going to be exactly as advertised and exactly the same potency and consistency each and every time. So we're going to be able to bring, in a nutshell, organic, consistently potent medicine to our patients here in Missouri and we're extremely excited about that. So you said that this has this technique has never before been used in the cannabis industry. Can you talk a little bit about how that came about? Sure. So cannabis has uh, traditionally been grown in potted plants and then mm-hmm. hydroponics were introduced. There are a few other companies out there that are bringing aeroponics. We chose Thrive because Thrive is simply amazing the pe- from the the top of the company all the way down to their growers and their product. It's amazing. So aeroponics has actually been around for quite some time. Most people just aren't aware of it. So actually Thrive um, has a parent company who's been growing fruits and vegetables uh, aeroponically for years up in Canada. 
Uh, if you go to Epcot Center, you'll see plants actually with their roots suspended growing aeroponically. Uh, in fact, NASA and Elon Musk's company are choosing to grow aeroponically in space, mm-hmm. you know, if we were to ever colonize space. It's been around 20, 30 years, I'd say, but it's never been introduced to the cannabis industry. And it's truly, you know, Thrive chose a great name because never before have we seen a plant truly thrive and grow larger. That's why they're they're increasing the yields. These plants are truly loving it. Um, and, you know, with the right combination of air and minerals brought brought to the root system, it's these plants are growing larger and larger and faster. So... Thrive gets an additional crop cycle every year because their plants only grow in eight weeks. The veg is only two to five days. You never have to move the plants around. They stay stationary. They grow in eight weeks, and you're on to the next crop. So it's truly a revolutionary technology. I believe that it's not only going to change the cannabis industry, but quite possibly the agricultural industry as well. Absolutely. Did you want to speak to this as well? For me, it's more about um, what Thrive just... Like like Tom said, it's a very pure product. If you if you look at some reports out of places that have legalized cannabis, there's a lot of problems with different potency levels. You might go into a shop one time and you need med- medication, and it doesn't work the same for you every time, even though the same label's on it each time. Mm-hmm. So. Thrive really appealed to me because it keeps that pure all the way through. There should never be a time when someone walks in to one of our facilities and buys the same thing and it's different. It should always be the same. And that's, I think, what the federal government is looking for is consistency through, through the whole cannabis industry. Like I said, that's where it appealed to me. Okay. Are there any specific differences in the cultivation process if you're growing product for pharmaceutical use versus recreation? Are there specific standards that you have to hit? There are. There's standards for pharmaceutical grade okay. uh, versus recreational grade. They, they're a little more laxed recreationally mm-hmm. uh, than they are pharmaceutical. Even if Missouri becomes a rec state, we're always going to employ the same way of growing, which uh, even if we went to rec, it would still be you know very high grade very good medication yeah you know we wouldn't differentiate we wouldn't change the way we're growing because the product is the best the way it's grown you know there's no reason to ever alter the product we're going to try and keep this plant in its most natural state as as far as we can now of course we're removing soil and replacing that with mineral in the misting but other than that these plants are flourishing just the way they are and they're producing higher yields and and there's no reason ever to mess with product or dumb it down if you will for wreck or Mm -hmm. anything like that you know Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of why you got into the industry, how that kind of happened, what your journey is into this industry. Sure. So for me, I wanted to help alleviate the demand, the addiction to pharmaceuticals. I think that cannabis, which, you know, our body naturally produces cannabinoids. And I believe that every plant is been put on this earth for a reason and this is an opportunity to have a non-toxic all-natural remedy for a tremendous amount of illnesses and you know unfortunately there's been a a stigma 
attached to marijuana for quite some time, and so it hasn't allowed there to be proper research that there should be appropriate amount of time and effort into trying to discover what this plant can do for us rather than try and put it down so that it doesn't come in because it will hurt the pharmaceutical industry there's no doubt it'll help human beings as a whole because we're not going to create side effects we're not going to have 10 different medications you're going to have to take down the road because this one quit working you know it's non-toxic and non-addictive you cannot overdose it can't kill you. You can't. It's just far safer, I believe, um, when especially when handled and treated appropriately, like any medicine should. For me, it's about helping people. I, it's a great medicine, but also I think this is the last thing that we can control. We can't control the pharmaceutical industry. They're way too big. No matter how much we want to lobby and how much we want to do as individuals, there's only so far we can move that needle. I think in this industry, we could really start to give back to people who need this medication and be able to do it on an individual or a small group basis. So um, that's what I liked about it. We produce cannabis in a format that is not only pharmaceutical grade, but medical grade cannabis, which is a significant change in the way uh, this plant has been uh, typically grown throughout the the country, uh, throughout the world. Biggest issues with using and utilizing cannabis as a medicine right now is that it lacks consistency. It doesn't have the consistent levels of cannabinoids and THC content over multiple crop cycles. And because of that, you have a great difficulty in treating people with specific physical ailments, uh, whether it you know, be cancer, uh, lupus, arthritis, Parkinson's disease, MS. Unfortunately, because of genetic drift and the fact that the way it's currently being grown, people are utilizing pesticides and herbicides and fungicides to mitigate infestations and pathogens. That doesn't produce medicine. That produces a product that may or may not pass testing standards. And every state is getting stricter as time goes by in their testing standards. So Missouri is going to be no different. And eventually we'll see passage of cannabis legalization here in the United States and and an eventual rescheduling where regulatory oversight will fall under the Food and Drug Administration. When that happens... They're not going to allow uh, people to provide this as, as a medical treatment with the level of inconsistency, not knowing if from crop to crop that your medical benefits are the same. Can you give us a little bit more detail on what the standards are as far as producing a pharmaceutical product versus a recreational product? Like what do those standards, what do they look like, the differences? Well, unique thing is there are no standards currently, and that's a key part of the problem. There is no federal oversight. So, you know, to facilitate growing cannabis in a pharmaceutical way, you, you have to look to other pharmaceutical products that are regulated by the FDA. You have to look at how do they go about doing that. They ensure that uh, most medicines are grown uh, as plants, and they ensure that they're grown in sterile, clean room environments, hospital operating room sterility level, stepping into antimicrobial trays before entering a grow, uh, ensuring that people go through an air scrubber 
uh, to pull anything off of their clothing before they go in or change into scrubs. It's ensuring that that you don't allow anything into that environment, uh, rather through the air or on somebody's clothing, uh, or in the case of people growing in soil where a lot of contaminants come in, everything from spider mites and root aphids, powdery mildew, mold, all of those can come in in soil. And so once you have those into your crops, uh, in, into uh, your, your various cultivation cycles, now you have to do something to mitigate those. And that usually means a fungicide or a pesticide. You know, there are specific limits. Every state determines its, uh, its acceptable limits for those um, chemicals. But to be truly pharmaceutical grade, you need to eliminate all of that. And so the system that uh, we developed with Thrive specifically operates in those clean, sterile, clean room environments where you don't have that entering in to begin with. And uh, considering that we don't use soil and it's all done aeroponically, uh, it's very much in line with the way pharmaceutical companies grow plants for medicine now. Uh, and then the most important is the, the consistency and not interjecting genetic drift into the equation. Most plants uh, that are grown at this time are, are being propagated uh, by cloning. So you're taking mother plants and taking cuttings off of those and cloning uh, those plants. The problem is, is you're forcing that mother plant into an unnatural state that it's not used to living in, um, constantly uh, keeping it in a state where you can pull those clones off. As that plant begins to degrade over time, and it does, it, it starts losing potency, it starts developing genetic abnormalities, it starts essentially dying. Eventually that mother plant will die in eight to nine months and you'll have to create a new mother plant. Every cutting you're taking off of that, every clone, is now inherited the exact same genetic problems and degradations and issues, uh, sickness that that plant had. If you have a crop at the beginning of a year and your potencies are you know, at a specific level, percentage, the same plants that are coming off of those uh, mother plants, those clones, by the you know, last crop of the year may be dramatically degraded. And that is genetic drift. And so we are very big proponents of propagating our terrace gardens uh, with plants that are tissue cultured. And from tissue culture, first of all, allows us to produce plants in a rapid fashion after the initial tissue culture process commences, which is an advantage because we grow a much faster crop cycle. Uh, we grow in eight weeks. Our plants don't go into a vegetation stage at all. We go straight into flower. We need to get plants quickly, but the other incredible benefit is that you have eliminated genetic drift. You're taking plant cells from the healthiest time of that plant's life and you're creating, in petri dishes, you're creating new plants. When you combine that with the fact that we're not using uh, any pesticides or herbicides or fungicides, you end up with a pharmaceutical grade product. You end up with cannabis that you can count on being the same consistency crop after crop after crop without genetic drift and without having the chemicals that would be otherwise detrimental to people's health. What does the traditional cultivation process look like right now? In soil, 
how long does it typically take? Because you're saying it's taking eight weeks for you guys. What does the traditional cultivation process look like? I've been involved in the industry for almost a decade now, and I have I have seen this plant grown in a multitude of environments and methods, including on the side of the road in India, which just oh. isn't natural <laughs> weed, no pun intended. Uh-huh. I've been in grow operations throughout Latin America, all over the United States, Canada. When I got into the industry about 10 years ago, the vast majority of people were still growing only in soil. I would say within five years of my time in in this space, a good chunk of the industry, over 50%, has has made the transition to growing hydroponically uh, in flood and drain tables. And the advantage there is that you are eliminating soil, which is, one, a cost, and two, as we've discussed, a way for pathogens to and infestations to enter into your sterile environment. So it's a very increased amount of efficiency in going flood and drain table, but you're still you're still dealing specifically with plants that have been cloned most often. Very, very few growers are doing tissue culture that's kind of coming into the market in the last year to two years, uh, and you know we'll see that uh, being stronger over time, but at this moment, the, the vast majority are being cloned. The other big key difference, uh, well, you were asking about the time. Uh, the cultivation cycle depends on the strain, the genetics, and the, the type, whether it's a cush plant or you're growing an indica, sativa, those plants will, they all have their own growth cycle, their own time that they need to, to mature. But as an example, we have one of our terrace gardens in a large grow operation that's growing in soil just outside of Denver, a well-known, very large licensee cultivation provider there in Denver. And their plants, their turnaround time with vast majority of their strains is between 14 and 16 weeks. We are doing that right next you know, to those plants in eight weeks. So the, the number of crops we get a year uh, greatly increases. In addition to that, we are typically growing three to four times the yield that a traditionally grown plant, rather it being in flood and drain table or in soil, is growing. So we're getting more harvests a year, and we're getting a much higher quality product, and we're getting a much greater yield uh, in addition to that. And we're the only technology that I have seen in 10 years anywhere in the world that we actually are able to harvest the roots of the plant. In every other scenario, if you're growing in soil, those roots are now completely intertwined in a, a root ball in soil. Uh, in a flood and drain table, they, the plants are growing into a cellulose space. And so now they're intertwined and wrapped around that. And at the time of harvest, when they cut down the plants, they're just chucking those root balls right into the trash. Uh, it's unfortunate because while the roots of a cannabis plant are not high in specific cannabinoids or THC content, certain uh, cannabinoids are very uh, much in concentration in the roots, including CBN and CBG. And in addition, there's other chemical compounds that pharmaceutical companies currently synthetically manufacture that could be derived from the cannabis roots. At the time of harvest, at, at eight weeks, the roots in our system are over six feet in length, and um, we harvest that right along with the, with the plant itself. You know, as discussed, I've been in the industry for, 
for about 10 years. The way I got involved in the cannabis space was actually on the regulatory compliance side. Very unusual way to enter the industry. Most people get involved in the space to get a license to um, cultivate fully vertically integrated or uh, you know, some combo uh, or, or individual components like just owning a dispensary. I initially got into the industry building regulatory compliance software, seed to sale software that tracks everything from the genetics through all of the cultivation cycles, it's harvesting, drying, trimming, curing, packaging, and then the point of sale system. And then went on to do that a step further by providing software solutions for financial institutions, for banks to be able to accept cannabis drive funds under the FinCEN guidelines. And along the way, I've been involved in 17 different states' legislative process including uh, the territory of Puerto Rico, where it was brought into law initially by executive order under the previous uh, governor. But eventually, you know, that, that needed to be, uh, needed to have a public policy and, and, and a law uh, written around that and was involved from almost the beginning of that process. And in other states, most often cannabis, uh, is, as far as a medicinal program, is usually introduced as a bill that is, you know, eventually signed into law, whereas in Missouri took a, a very different approach. And it's fitting that it was called the New Approach Initiative that ended up kind of winning the day, and it became the first state in the United States to introduce uh, legalized medicinal cannabis via constitutional amendment. That is very different. It's extremely different. It changes the equation a lot, especially for municipalities in the state of Missouri. Other states, counties, cities, townships are often free to to opt out of participating in a cannabis program. Um, counties in Colorado and cities that even in the greater Denver area that just absolutely do not want to participate in having dispensaries or grow operations in their community. Whereas in Missouri, under the constitutional amendment, none of the, the municipalities here are, are able to opt out. And I think that's causing quite a bit of consternation amongst, you know, officials in different, uh, different areas of the state that don't want to participate in this. Uh, but they, because of the constitutional amendment, are, are going to be forced to. It's a unique process to take a state from not having any kind of program to establishing a, a complete cannabis program around what we have is constraints from the federal government. It's still a legally federal level. It's a Schedule One narcotic. And under the Obama administration, we saw the introduction of the Cole Memorandum, which was a set of guidelines to allow states to be able to set up a, a cannabis program without federal interference. You know, and it was a, a specific set of guidelines to tell uh, states, you know, these are the things that we would like to see, that, you know, you need to have a, a very robust tracking system to track every gram of this product and to track the money that is being derived from it, to track the patients, to track the physicians that are, are giving the recommendations. And then, 
you're trying to put together, you know, from a, a federal perspective, what is it that what is it that the federal government needs to ensure that they don't have to intervene in in a law enforcement way? And you know, it's to ensure that children aren't getting a hold of this, people that are underage, that you're not having after-hour sales, that you're not having what they call cross shopping. So you're setting daily possession limits so that people don't end up with uh, with more than they should in a 24-hour period. In doing all of that, they followed the Cole Memorandum, state after state after state. Unfortunately, the previous attorney general under the Trump administration, Jeff Sessions, rescinded the Cole Memorandum. And what that means is that states now really don't have that federal level guidance as to what they're supposed to do. And so what most states, uh, including Missouri, is doing is specifically still using the, the basic tenets of the Cole Memorandum. They really don't have a choice because otherwise there, there is no guideline. So most states that have cannabis programs are similar. Probably the most well-recognized and certainly plagiarized and, and uh, most often utilized example of a, a good medical cannabis program is what was created with House Bill 1284 in Colorado, written by uh, Matt Cook, uh, who was their top law enforcement officer for, for many, many years. He's gone on to write the laws in other states and is consulting for a multitude of, of other uh, states and municipalities. What he wrote in House Bill 1284 was kind of the framework, the foundation is probably a better way of saying it, for all states. And you'll see you know, not only in Missouri's law, but in most other states, uh, a lot of the same language uh, again and again and the same requirements because, again, uh, everything was, was written around the idea of complying with at least what, what the federal government said you could do to not see federal intervention, which was the Cole Memorandum. So Missouri's program falls under the Department of Health and Senior Services. They would be the administrator of the program, and they have set forth a pretty robust plan to ensure that they move this program along quickly, and that includes providing a method for people to apply for licensure. They have already begun and are probably nearing the end of their efforts and the rules and regulations portion of, of getting the program up and running. The hoops that people have to jump through are, are pretty onerous. I, I think most people don't fully grasp or understand the level at which you you have to, to work to get a license and and then to maintain the license. But you know, in obtaining a license, you not only have to have the financial wherewithal, which can be extensive. You know, in Missouri, as it stands right now, unless it changes, got to be liquid in the bank five hundred thousand, half a million dollars for a cultivation license, three hundred thousand uh, for a dispensary. You know, you also have to pass very stringent background tests. Um, you have to ensure that you can show the state that what you're doing is going to contribute to the community that you have mitigated all of the risks, that you have a, a very stringent inventory control program to ensure that product isn't being sold out the back door. You have to have very extensive standard operating procedures, and it needs to be detailed. 
and they will audit those uh, procedures on a regular basis. You need to have a security plan. Demonstrates that you have completely set up your facility in a way to protect not only the employees working there, but to protect the product from being stolen, to protect cash, as this is a, a primarily cash-based business uh, in the United States. You you have a public safety concern around the large sums of cash being stored on site. So you have to have a very robust security system, cameras throughout uh, your facilities, a DVR system to hold on to footage for, I think here in Missouri, it's going to be 45 days. All of those things combined and amount of work, the hoops you've got to jump through are quite extensive. It's not for the faint of heart. Um, So I do want to talk to you guys about what your experience has been um, as far as the legislation process or just getting a, a license or paying certain fees. Like what has all that looked like for you? You know, personally, as our group has uh, formed and gone through this process, you know, we we joined Missouri uh, MoCan Trade, which is the Missouri Cannabis Trade Organization that's aimed at educating not only entities applying for licenses, but also educate people how to get their medical card, how to obtain their medical card. So other things, you know, we have prepaid application fees for each operation. When you apply for cultivation, dispensary, production license, they all have a a set fee. So there's that expense. Of course, there's, you know, one of the things that you have to do is you have to show as an entity that you have partnerships and that there are others out there to work for you or work with you. So for instance, if we're applying for a cultivation license, we need to show that We've spoken with other dispensary owners and production licenses and come up with a plan to provide product for them or offer our services to them. So we've gone out and done that. We've gone out to speak with doctors to try and educate doctors as far as uh, the benefits of medical cannabis. In fact, our group, Missouri-Medicinals.com has gone so far as to try. We brought on, or we're working with Pharmacology University, who is one of the foremost leaders in education as far as certifications, uh, continuing education, doctor certifications to be able to issue uh, medical cards. So, you know, that's one of the things that we've done to not only educate ourselves, but help educate the public and the and the medical field really about medical cannabis. We've come up with a program. One of the things that the, the uh, Department of Health is requiring of its uh, license holders is how you're going to give back to the community. And one of the ways in which our group decided to do that was through a foundation in which we can save or collect money and then help subsidize, if not fully pay for medical cannabis, um, you know, kind of issue vouchers for a patient to have the ability, if they can't afford it, to go get their medicine that they need. Those are some of the things that you, the state is not only requiring, but it's some of the things that are important to us as a group. When we set forth on 2020 is about when we'll start seeing everything open. We want to be a contributing member of the community and a viable entity that can survive, and, and that's what the state wants to see. So, you know, you need to go and establish all these things and build your resume, if you will, for uh, the application process? Uh, no, just like I said, going through the process, uh, like Charles alluded to, it's, it's, a, it's a lot more than people think. Um, I think when this thing's over, it's going to be probably 1,000 to 1,500 pages by the time we get through the application and everything that they want. 
Um, so just kind of going through that process. And, and like Tom said, at the same time you're going through the process, you're kind of building a resume for yourself as well. Uh, you know, you're not, you don't have the luxury of coming into an area and have already done this. And, you know, we have these in Colorado, so now we're moving to Missouri. You can't do that. So uh, you're kind of trying to build a company, build a resume, and get through the process all at the same time. So uh, there's a lot, it's a lot more involved than people think. I want to talk a little bit about maybe economic impacts um, because just for the pre-filed application forms and fees, um, I looked this morning and as of April 25th, there was about 499 pre-filed applications, which totaled about $3,598,000 just in pre-filed application fees. So I kind of want to just get a quick on what you think the economic impact will be for Missouri. Um, and then we can go into our last kind of closing comments. Does that sound good? Yeah. I think Charles would be the best one to speak to that because he's known what the economic impact is in a bunch of other places. Sure. So absolutely. Please. In regard to the pre-application fees collected thus far, the primary reason to take those pre-application fees is to allow the Department of uh, health and senior services to create the new uh, cannabis division uh, oversight agency to have some working funds to be able to to facilitate that. It's certainly not required, and it will have no bearing on whether uh, an entity receives a, a license or not. But it it makes sense uh, to allow that that money to uh, start going toward creating the program and and moving this along in a expeditious manner. The economic impact for a state can be pretty incredible once the program is is fully implemented and and running smoothly. And that takes some time. You know, the reason that there is a financial requirement uh, of liquidity for the the applicants is that this all comes down to a balance. They need to ensure that entities that they provide a license to have the financial wherewithal to weather the storm of, of really their, you know, in particular, their first year of operation. The state has to ensure that they are concurrently, uh, as they bring on new licensees, they have to begin the process of certifying physicians so that those physicians can go out and uh, and start getting the patient's registered. You know, the patient registration is, is crucial. And so I I do see the potential for Missouri to, uh, once the, the program is fully established, up and running, if it's healthy, uh, in three to five years, I could see this being a half a billion dollar a year industry in, in the state. And it isn't just what's collected in tax revenue that's important. It's It's also... Uh, all of the ancillary services that support the industry, the jobs created from that. Uh, rather, you're working directly uh, for a licensee as, say, a bud tender or a cultivator. Uh, there are security jobs. There are uh, people that do GPS tracking. There are companies that do vaulting, uh, vaulting a product in cash. It's, it's interesting, when I got into the industry right around the time that Colorado was implementing their program, I got to see firsthand year after year what the impact was to a city like Denver. Mm-hmm. Colorado, they say now, has an average of uh, 10,000 new residents you know, moving there every month. It has created an economic boom 
that is just unprecedented. Uh, you know, you'll have highways that cannot be built fast enough out there to keep up with the influx of, of new people coming in. And so there's a ripple effect from all of the ancillary uh, jobs and the direct uh, jobs in the industry. And I think the exact same thing will happen here in Missouri. So I think it could be very financially impacting uh, for the state. And I think it will force a state like Kansas, who will be sandwiched in between two legal states, mm -hmm. to follow shortly uh, yeah. because they're going to miss out on you know, that same level of economic uh, development and revenue. If anyone wants to find you or get more information on your business or you personally, or let's go ahead and give people an access to you guys. Sure. We, uh, we can be reached at missouri-medicinals.com or you can look us up on threefoldinvestments.com. Also, um, anyone interested in the cultivation solution that my company provides, it's thrivegrowing.com, T-H-R-I-V-E, growing. Com. It's a pretty good wealth of information on our products and uh, solutions for the industry. And that was Benny Abbott, Charles Ramsey, and Tom O'Neill. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco.